Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 82. It's titled, What Assets Return When the Federal Reserve Tightens Its Monetary Policy? It's a long title. I probably will condense it on actual website, but we're talking about what stocks do, what bonds do when the Federal Reserve begins their process or continues a process of raising the short-term policy rate, the Fed funds rate. That's a question I'm getting a lot from listeners and from members of the Hub. We're going to explore it today and what it actually means for the Fed to raise interest rates. Today, I'm recording this on the road. I t- took an unexpected trip this weekend to my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm staying at the Westin Hotel. It overlooks Fountain Square, where there's the beautifully designed Tyler Davidson Fountain that has been on Fountain Square at the corner of Fifth and Vine since 1871, 12 years before my great-grandfather Peter Stein and his father Wilhelm came and emigrated to Cincinnati from the Netherlands. I have stayed at this Westin Hotel more than any other hotel in the country. I first became aware of it in 1980. I was attending a Cincinnati Reds game, and afterwards we're just kind of go over to Fountain Square, and they were constructing the hotel. Interest rates at the time for the 10-year Treasury bond, U.S. 10-year Treasury, 11%. I'm going to share some other experiences at this hotel, but relate what interest rates were at the time and see if you can identify a pattern. This hotel was dedicated in 1981. That year, interest rates got to an all-time high. 10-year Treasury bond, 15.3% yield. My mother was working in real estate, and these very, very high interest rates, essentially, she couldn't sell a house. I mean, it was very, very difficult for people to afford a house given mortgage rates were so high. Can you imagine that? Almost certainly a mortgage rate well over 15% at time. So that probably is the reason in 1982, I was driving our family car, a 1977 Dodge Aspen. I've never seen a car get so rusty, and it was unreliable. And I picked up my father. I had my sisters in the car with me, and we were going to go visit my father. We picked him up at a, a halfway house. He was a recovering alcoholic at the time, and had to leave. We could pick him up and take him away. At least we went down and we're going to look at the Christmas lights downtown Cincinnati. And it was a frigid night below zero and the car stalled a block from the Westin Hotel and I couldn't get it started. So we walked up to the Westin. I called AAA. It said it could be an hour before the tow truck is here. And so we opened up 
our Christmas gifts. We gave some to my father, and he said, I don't, I, don't, I don't have any money. I don't have a job. I really don't have much for you. I found these, these gifts at the halfway house, and he gave me my gift, and it was, I unwrapped it. It was a book, Personality of St. Paul, and I still have that book, green cover. At the time, interest rates were 10.5%. A year later, I got a job working at the Netherland Plaza Hotel just next door to the Westin. I worked as a dishwasher for a year before I went to Mexico to live for a time. And interest rates during that year that I worked, they ranged between 11% and 13%. 14 years later, I'm in college. Well, not 14 years. Four years later, I'm in college. And it, again, it's Christmas time, December 1987, and I am on a date with LaPrell. We took a horse carriage ride around Fountain Square, and now we're in the lounge of the Westin, warming up, having some hot chocolate, and I knew that night that she, she was the one. Interest rates at the time, 9%. They had gotten as low as 7% in January 1987. 1991, I'm working next to Fountain Square at Cincinnati Bell Information Systems on 6th Street, and I'm a temp worker. I'm compiling code and taking lunch breaks and going over and reading during my lunch, at, at the, again, at the lounge at the Weston Hotel. I was thinking about going to law school, and I visited a friend of mine, Gene, who had worked for many years at a law office and, was, and told me how many hours... Attorneys worked and, and wasn't real positive on it, and, and certainly one of the reasons I decided not to go to law school. Interest rates, 8% in 1991. 1995, I had my MBA in finance by then. I've worked in corporate finance, and I get hired at FEG, take a massive pay cut, and can't afford to, to much for lunch, so I'd often would care, I would pack my lunch, and I'd eat lunch. And again, sitting in the Westin at one of the lounges or chairs, interest rates in 1995, 6.3%. 1999, the middle of the internet bubble, and I'm walking along Fountain Square in front of the Westin, and I remember Fred, our, my found, our mentor of our firm, our mentor to me, worked closely with the founder of our firm, and he was just complaining about this whole internet thing and how retailers would never be able to survive without a brick-and-mortar store. Amazon has grown super, super huge, but just announced their opening of their first bookstore, physical bookstore, brick-and-mortar store in Seattle. Interest rate to 1999, 5.5%. By then, in 2001, I moved to Idaho, and so I was coming back frequently to Cincinnati to meet with my partners. We were in the process of trying to sell our firm. I was on our executive committee, and so we had a lot of meetings with investment bankers, but one trip in 2003, I came back, and it was for the funeral of my mentor, Fred, our founder, who had died at age 45 from a brain tumor. Interest rates were 4%. 2008, 2009, financial crisis, all heck broke loose. I would come back, and I'm, by then I'm managing money, and I'm running a portfolio getting compared to benchmark. Very, very challenging time. Interest rates, 3.5%. Came back again. I would often bring my family on these trips, and we would stay here. Remember, one occasion brought Brett back, 2010, and, and I, I'm in the office, and I just check back to check on him. It's 1 in the afternoon. 
The kid is sound asleep, had not woken up, and not even a light sleep. It was amazing, just sound asleep at one in the afternoon. Interest rates, 3%. 2011, I'm st- it's March, and I'm at our annual client conference. I'm our firm's keynote speaker, and I'm up on the stage. I practice my speech. We hold the conference at the Western Hotel, and I'm up in my room practicing my speech, one of the few times that I actually practice. And then I'm on stage, high pressure, all of our clients, my personal clients, I'm speaking in front of my partner or other employees. I have money managers that I respect. The press is there. There's video cameras. I'm giving my speech. And while I'm giving my speech, I got that recording in the back of my head. There's those thoughts saying, you've peaked. This is it. You, you, you can't go any higher. And, and I was kind of melancholy as I'm giving my speech thinking, this is it? And it was a year later that, that I left. So 2012, the last day at my firm. First off, interest rates in 2011 in my forum speech, 3.4%. So 2012, again, it's the end of March. We're at the Westin. I'm staying here. It's our annual client conference, my last week at work. And I remember I'm on the 15th floor looking down at the fountain, the Tyler Davidson fountain. And there are benches set up where our, basically my former colleagues are, are lined up having a firm picture taken. I pulled out my iPhone. I have a picture from the 15th floor. Sort of this bittersweet memory because I, I don't know what's going to happen. I know it's time for me to go. I don't know where I'm going to end up what I'm going to end up doing. But here we are now, 2015. Well, first off, 2012, interest rates, 2%. So we've gone from 15% in 1981 down to 2% in 2012. They got as low as 1.5% that year. And now we're in 2015. I'm podcasting from the Western Hotel, and interest rates are at 2.3%. And we appear to be at the bottom of the cycle with the Federal Reserve indicating that it's time to raise the real rate. What does that mean for interest rates? Well, first, back in episode 52, there was a, it was why are interest rates so low? And I talked about what influences interest rate. I encourage you to re- listen to that. I actually listened to that again. I, I was out biking and, and I was playing an episode and then episode 52 came on and I'm listening to it and I'm learning, which is amazing that... I can listen to old episodes of my podcast and, and be, be, remember stuff and learn. It's like, I didn't know that. So, but I, in that episode, I talked about what influences interest rates. And there's a couple things that influence it. Certainly, Fed policy, the Federal Reserve tries to set the policy rate and influence longer-term rates so that the real rate of interest, the interest that is after adjusting for inflation is at what's really called this theoretical clearing rate, the rate that encourages businesses to borrow funds to invest in capital projects that will allow them to get a rate of return and so we can have full employment so that there's enough jobs for everyone. And so there's this theoretical rate where the Fed has said for a long time now, over six years, 
that rate is essentially zero. There's just not a lot of appetite to borrow from in by businesses. They also try to set this real rate to where they can get jobs for everyone. So now that unemployment is down to 5% and corporations are borrowing, the Fed believes it's time to start raising rates. At least they're starting to communicate that. And But it'll be a very, very slow process. And But that's just one influence. That's just one dot. So the theoretical real rate influences interest rate. A second thing is the expected future or the expected direction of where the Fed is going to set that policy rate two or three or four years from now. In other words, that the pathway of the rates increases because the bond market sort of prices on what they believe the Fed is going to do in the future. And so that's why the Fed releases the dot plot, which is sort of an estimate of Fed governors of what they think that short-term policy rate is going to be in the future. Back in episode 52, I talk about that in more detail and sort of how the math of that works. So I won't redo that here. Third thing that influences interest rates is the term premium, which is what do investors require to hold longer-term bonds? Because the longer the bond, the maturity, the longer its duration or its sensitivity to interest rates. And so if you're going to hold a longer-term bond, the value of that will fall more if interest rates go up. And so there needs to be some additional yield for holding those longer-term bonds. That influences it. But one of those things that influences that is what are other interest rates around the world? What is What are rates in the in UK? What are rates in Germany? What are rates in Japan or Australia? If the Fed starts normalizing its interest rate policy and raising rates, it'll be one of the few countries in the world to do that. And with 10-year treasuries at 2.3%, it's that's on the upper range of interest rates around the world. And so that puts downward pressure on interest rates. And But the term premium influences it. And then the fourth thing is inflation. There you have the real rate and then you have inflation expectations. Right now, inflation is still very, very low. There's different measures. One measure is the personal consumption expenditure, and that is the inflation that essentially is is calculated and used when figuring out gross domestic product. Year-over-year core personal consumption expenditure is 1.3%. We have the consumer price index and the core consumer price index that backs out more volatile energy and food prices. Inflation year-over-year for that, 1.9%. Wage growth is another measure of inflation. Year-over-year growth in wages is 2%. And so all these measures of inflation are below 2%. And with the 10-year treasury at 2.3%, you can see the real rate is low. 2.3% nominal rate, inflation at 2%, that's about 0.3% real rate. And so when you look at to what extent will the Fed raise interest rates, it'll most likely not be quickly. It could be 0.25% 0.25% or 25 basis points every other month, perhaps the months where there's a press conference so that the Chairman Yellen can, or Chairperson Yellen can sort of provide some context 
in terms of the communication. So that's, those are the four things that drive interest rates, the theoretical real rate of interest, the, the expected direction of future short-term policy or monetary rates, the term premium in terms of what investors demand to hold longer-term bonds, and then inflation expectations. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. So what have different asset classes done when the Fed has begun to raise their policy rate? This is called a period of tightening. And... First off, recessions have started a median of 25 months after the first rate hike. So about two years later, there's a recession. That's been on average. There's no indication we're heading toward a recession now. But typically, once a, the Federal Reserve starts tightening, at some point they tighten too much and there's a cyclical downturn. And that's typically been about 25 months after the first rate hike. What about inflation? Inflation, there is really little change in the pace of inflation one year after the first rate hike by the Federal Reserve. 
And first off, the data that I'm sharing with you, most of it came from Ned Davis Research, which is one of my data providers, and they've, they've done the analysis, and so that's where they've run the numbers. That's where a lot of this data is coming from. The U.S. dollar, U.S. dollar, really no change during the first nine months of once the Fed has started raising rates. It's usually stronger a year later. Given how the U.S. already has some of the highest rates around the world, if the Fed starts to raise interest rates, or the policy rate, you'll probably see the dollar strengthen further, even though it's at almost a 24-month high. U.S. stocks, the median return for U.S. stocks one year after the Fed begins raising short-term rates is 6.5%. That's the median return. But when the pace of tightening has been slow, such as we'll probably see during this cycle, U.S. stocks have been up 17.4% one year later. So just because the Fed is raising rates does not mean the stock market is going to fall. Now, oftentimes during the first month or two, you get some volatility. You can see a sell-off in stocks. But generally speaking, they've been positive a year later because the Fed is raising rates because the economy is strengthening, and that's good for companies, good for profits, etc. And so that's, that's an important element. U.S. bonds. U.S. bonds have typically underperformed going into the first rate hike as rates have, have climbed or, or have go up in anticipation of that. We, to some extent, we've seen that as off and on. We, our low was at 1.5% a few years ago. Now we're at 2.3%. Been a long expectation, a long time period. But what have bonds perform? Well, the U.S. aggregate, so a measure of the broad bond market, has returned 7.7% total return one year after the Fed begins raising rates. Now, that's an interesting statistic because there's typically fear that the bond market is going to sell off. But rates do go up. And because if you start raising the policy rate, you can see rates go up longer term, which does influence bonds. Now, what matters, though, is I gave you some of those interest rates earlier, much higher interest rates, where if you 10%, 11%. From, so for much of this time since 1980, we've had rates at 5 6%. And so recall how bonds work. As interest rates go up, the price, the value of the bond goes down, but then you are getting a higher yield because rates go up. And the way to look at bonds is you can look at the duration or their sensitivity to interest rates. And the way the duration works, it's sort of a shorthand for figuring out what your price loss is when interest rates go up. So, for example, the 10-year Treasury bond has a duration of about nine years. And so what that means is if rates go up 1%, the value, the price of 10-year Treasuries will fall by 9%. The U.S. aggregate bond index has a duration of 5.7 years. So as interest rates go up 1%, they'll fall approximately 5.7%. Now, these are approximations based on just the way the math works. But think about that with those U.S. treasuries. So if your if you're U.S. treasuries, if it's, let's say, 1980, and they're yielding 15%, 
Well, interest rates go up 1%. Again, the value of the bonds fall. Nine-year duration, they fall 9%, but you're still getting a 16% return. So you can still get a positive return for bonds. It's a little different today with bonds yielding 2.3%. If they go up 1%, so from 2.3 to 3.3, if you hold a 10-year treasury bond, that falls 9%, and then you start getting so the 23 to 3.3% yield. After two years, your annualized return is negative 1.8%. And if, on average, the you know, recession hits two years later, then the Fed would probably stop tightening by then. But that kind of gives you an idea. You know, what's your return over a two-year period if interest rates go up by 1% during this tightening cycle. If you own a 10-year treasury, your return is going to be about a negative 1.8% annualized return. If you own just an ETF invested in the U.S. broad bond market, duration again is 5.7%. It's yielding, yield to maturity for the U.S. aggregate is about 2.5%. And so there the math says interest rates go up 1%, the value of the bonds fall by approximately 5.7% your ETF, but then you, you get, you're getting that 25 to 3.5% interest payment or that yield, and that means after two years, you're about break even. Now, I don't invest in, in either of those. I'm invested primarily in an active bond fund managed by DoubleLine. That fund has a duration of 3.5 years, and it's yielding 3.85% because it's heavily invested in, in a lot of non-agency mortgage-backed bonds. And, and Hub members, if you're a member of the Hub, you, you can learn more about that. I, I don't want to give actual, the actual mutual fund ticker on, on the podcast for really for a compliance reason, but you go look at DoubleLine. You can see their funds. You'll, you'll be able to figure it out. Or, or if you join the Hub, and you'll figure it out because I'll show you my entire portfolio on the hub and why I own in my portfolio and, and when I make trades, et cetera. But the point is, this is an active bond fund with a three-and-a-half-year duration and a yield of 3.85%. There you can do the math, and so interest rates go up one year. The value of bonds fall, the price, by 3.5%. But because your yield is going to be 38 to 4.8%, assuming rates go up by 1%, there, you're going to have a positive return. And that's the key when we fear about what, what, what's this period of rising rates going to do to my bond fund? You have to look at the duration and compare it to the yield. If you have a very long duration and a low yield, likely going to have a negative return on those bond funds. If you have a, a lower duration or a shorter duration and a higher yield, then you can still have positive returns. But the point is also, just because the Fed is starting to raise its policy rate does not mean interest rates are going to go up 2 to 3%. I mean, we don't know, but you have to look at the other factors. What's the inflation pressure? Is there evidence of inflation? Inflation expectations are still low. What's the term premium in terms of what do investors demand? Not only are foreign investors competing, we're competing around the world as U.S. rates go up. There's downward pressure because other investors around the world want to hold those. And there's also a demand for those safe assets, such as 
tenured treasures. There's not that many of them. And so that demand, people that are owning them, not just because they want the yield, but they're using them for collateral as part of swap agreements and things of that sort. And so that does influence it. And then certainly the expectation of what rates are going to be. So a couple other asset classes. What has gold done during period of rising interest rates? Well, not so well. Gold is down generally during period when the Fed is raising interest rates 8%, so negative 8% loss. But it depends on the cycle during, because commodities move in, in super cycle. And so the biggest loss for gold was during the bear market cycles of the 80s. During the 2000s, when we were in a, a bull market for commodities, even though the Fed raised rates, gold was positive. Now we're again in the commodity bear market. And so gold was down Friday and, and probably will be down if the, re- if the Fed begins to raise interest rates. Couple other asset classes, non-investment grade bonds have returned on average about 9.1% during periods when the Fed is tightening. And last Saturday on the Hub, we did a live Q&A session for Hub members, and we were talking about some of these other asset classes. REITs, for example, I don't have the actual return for REITs during period when the Fed is tightening or period of rising rates, but during these tightening periods, they have been positive. I looked 12 out of 14 times. I just don't have the actual performance number. But generally speaking, with REITs, and we talked about this on that Q&A, it depends on the context. If the economy is strengthening and rates are rising, then companies that own real estate, such as REITs do, can raise rents. And so that can offset, to some extent, some of the pressure by rising rates. And so that kind of gives you an idea of what different asset classes have done. Convertible bonds have generally been positive when rates are rising. If you would like to explore more in depth how interest rates work, you can do that by listening to episode 52, as I mentioned, why are interest rates so low? But also on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, there is a video course I've put together, How to Invest in Bonds. I go through in even more depth in terms of how interest rates work, how bonds work, different sectors of bonds. And that's a course, about 10 lessons right now. They're video lessons. I continue to build it out over time. But that's part of your membership at Money for the Rest of Us Hub. And you can get more information on that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Also, this week on The Hub, I'm releasing a spreadsheet where there's model portfolios out there, but some Hub members want even more customization. And so there'll be a spreadsheet where you can put in different weights for different asset classes, over a dozen asset classes, and figure out what's the expected 10-year rate of return, what's the the range of 10-year returns, and what's the short-term maximum drawdown or what your short-term worst-case loss and using different asset classes. And you can find that also on the Hub, so moneyfortherestofushub.com. If you would like show notes for this episode, you can get those at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also you can sign up for my insider's guide. I email those show notes to you weekly, and I email a summary article that provides insight in terms of sort of a, a well, certainly it's a summary, but some people learn by reading and by listening. So sometimes reading a summary article can be very helpful to understand what you listen to on 
the podcast episode. Also, if you remember my insider's guide, I'll just for a couple weeks, I'm going to email out the, if you want to see that kind of that bittersweet photo of me shooting from the 15th floor, <laughs> shooting a camera with my iPhone, not shooting a rifle. You can do that on the insider's guide. I'll email a link to, to that photo. You can see my, my former partners in my company way, way down there in front of the Tyler Davidson Fountain taking their picture on my last week of work. So that's, you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.net. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. as general education on money, investing the economy. Recording this week from the Weston Hotel overlooking Fountain Square in the Tyler Davidson Fountain. Have a great week.